Thank you for that uh, particular song because it reminds me of something that I preached last week about the need for lament, uh, how we don't do that well, in, at least in our sphere of, uh, of the Christian universe. And indeed, our General Assembly for the denomination just kicked off um, yesterday with a plenary session. So, and I'm a commissioner for our presbytery, so I had to be there, right? And by be there, I mean in my living room watching the screen all day. <laughs> but I was there, and, and I got set up, boy, I'll tell you what. I plugged my um, modem uh, with an Ethernet cable into. I didn't rely on Wi-Fi because I wanted the best signal possible. And then I put my HDMI right into the TV, so I had a big screen in front of me and a little screen right there. I was dialed in. Wasn't going to miss a thing. But the theme of our General Assembly this year is from lament to hope. So uh, we're, as a denomination, lifting up this need, too. And that it doesn't appear isolated, but uh, that it leads to something better. But we have to dwell in the, the messy parts of life, because that is what life is, after all. With that spirit, friends, let us go to God in prayer. Loving God, we give you thanks for how often we have so many givers in our church, uh, folks like Vanessa and Jonathan and volunteers from, from teens and all these kids show up uh, to uh, learn about Jesus and folks like the musicians who uh, come up here week after week and um, don't see it as a burden but as a gift, as a joy. We thank you for uh, their dedication to the work that you have given them to do. Remind them and remind us all of the importance of breaks as the co-pastors here are reminding us in a special way that uh, sometimes it's good just to settle down and take it easy for a little while and to receive the gifts that you are ready to give to us. This is a summer season, so we give you thanks despite the heat and the challenges that come with it. We think of the effects of warming planet, and um, they may be long-term, but Sometimes we feel it in the here and now, and we see some things happening that um, give us pause. So we pray for those folks who are trying to get Yellowstone National Park uh, back into shape after they've had so many devastating floods this past week. Uh, for those who had vacations planned there, they'll have to make other plans perhaps. So we pray for patience because we know our national parks are, are sacred places for us, uh, for recreation. They're popular. They have a lot of crowds, so with a lot of crowds comes a lot of potential for conflict and impatience and whatnot. So we pray for calm and cool heads in the midst of all of this heat and uh, the, the things that come with that. We lift up our General Assembly for the denomination as uh, they have begun to do some work and uh, will be doing some more work with committees and more plenary sessions in this hybrid format that we're doing and, and dragging it out over the month, so to speak. But uh, we, we pray for good work to be done through all of our commissioners and through all the work that, um, that we have to do. We give you thanks this day because it is both Juneteenth and Father's Day. So uh, we lift up our African-American brothers and sisters as they celebrate this special day in their heritage uh, and what it means to be emancipated. Help us all to appreciate true freedom, freedom that comes only through Christ our Lord. We thank you for the dads out there 
and for uh, the good work that they're doing. Uh, for those who could use a little hand with that, help us to be good witnesses uh, by our words, but most importantly, by our deeds. And whether we're a dad or not, uh, help us all to be good parents, to be good caretakers of the villages that you have placed us in. God, lift up all these prayers in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who taught us as disciples to pray these words together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. So every week that I've been up here, it's been like a little different every week. There's been something different going on. So like today we were, you know, conferring before the service started and, you know, just slight service change order. Not, nothing, nothing big, you know. I, I could have offered the prayer now or I could have offered it earlier. So, um, you know, in a, in a shortened uh, order of worship, those things are no problem at all. But it just keeps me on my toes, so I appreciate that. So like the, the, the um, five cents per meal collection, was, was like last week, right? I think it's the second, second Sunday of every month, right? So uh, that's, that was unique. I had to learn some things there. There was um, uh, Pentecost, you know, was, was like the, my first Sunday a couple weeks ago. And then, you know, there's some things going on with, with, with that and with communion happening. So uh, I appreciate y'all keeping me on my toes here. So I'm uh, trying to help y'all uh, uh, come through worship this summer. And uh, together, we're sort of relearning what it means. Uh, to be Christians and to follow Jesus. Uh, may we always have that spirit of, uh, of renewal in our worship time together. Saying that, we're going to go to a very familiar text today. So um, uh, you've probably read it in your bulletin. If not, uh, I invite you to tune your ears now to these words from Luke 15, being beginning at verse 11. Then Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country, and there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? But here I am, dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off... His father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And get the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Friends, the word of the Lord, thanks be to God. 
So it is week three of our summer sermon series, Home Movies. And yes, I'll probably keep reminding you of the uh, title of the series in case we have these visitors who need some com- context, as the church theme is, is church home this year. And summer is a time for folks to travel and explore, as I mentioned. So I have identified this week's film in the bulletin today, something I may or may not do from week to week. Uh, sometimes it's fun to wait for the big reveal, so to speak. Anyway, if you have not consulted a bulletin, today's film will be unfamiliar to uh, probably most folks in the room since it was not widely released in theaters. It debuted in 2020 at the Toronto International Film Festival and began streaming on Netflix in April of 2021. It's too bad it didn't get wider distribution or more marketing because it tells a familiar story but in an unfamiliar environment. The film is called Concrete Cowboy. And fair warning, it is an R rating for strong language and adult themes, so take that under advisement if you're following along with my movies uh, this summer. As far as R movies go, I would consider it fairly mild. Um, uh, It's not gratuitous in its depiction of events, and there's no sexual content. It's mostly a language issue. It's based on a 2011 young adult novel called Ghetto Cowboy. The film follows Cole, who is a prodigal son of sorts. He is unable to stay out of trouble as he's living with mom in Detroit. So mom says, I'm taking you to Philly for the summer so you can be with your dad. Maybe he can, you know, talk some sense into you. But it's not the Philly that Cole expects. Dad, who goes by the name Harp, is one of the last keepers of a local legacy in Philadelphia, urban horse riders and caretakers. As a proud member of the Fletcher Street Riders, he is poised to provide a model of responsibility and structure to the chaotic life of young Cole. At least, that's the viewer's hope at the beginning of the movie. But with any coming-of-age film, there are competing interests at play for the protagonist. In this case, Cole reconnects with a childhood friend named Smush, who seeks to secure a future for himself and Cole by drug dealing. And then in the background looms the specter of gentrification. Uh, Will the stables maintained by the writers resist development pressures? I'll show you, I think I have called for a slide here, just a little one of the promo pics from the film. And you know, if, if you're a fan of Idris Elba, who plays uh, Harp on the left here, the dad, you know, he's easy on the eyes, right? You know, so th- there you go. That's maybe some in- incentive for some of you there. Um, in the course of his summer with dad, Cole learns the value of the bond with large animals like horses. He learns to take care of them and thus learns to take care of something other than himself. And he has to face the question that will guide him the rest of his life. Who do you ride with? If I had to rate it, I would say this film is a solid 7 out of 10. It does suffer from a few cliches, but the good news is you get cliches from both westerns and inner city crime dramas. So it's nice. You get a little strange mix of cliches in this movie. And now today, as I mentioned in the prayer, is both uh, Father's Day and Juneteenth. And as the latter is now a national holiday, though it has been celebrated in African-American community for generations, 
I think it's worthy to share a little bit of its history. Juneteenth is also known as Emancipation Day, Freedom Day. It symbolically marks the end of enslavement in the United States. President Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation in 1863, but it only applied to enslaved people in the Confederacy. And its enforcement depended on the presence of Union troops. And those troops didn't arrive in Galveston, Texas, one of the southernmost outposts of enslaving territory, until June 19, 1865. Celebrations of the holiday have ebbed and flowed over the years and are on the upswing today. It's typically a day marked by uh, music and food, dance, literature, readings of the Emancipation Proclamation. Uh, if you go to a family gathering, you may see some red-colored food and drink, uh, a tradition that has its own kind of a long and multifaceted uh, uh, tradition associated with that red food and drink. Concrete Cowboys deftly explores themes from both Juneteenth and Father's Day, especially the nature of freedom and the role of fathers in guiding their children, even if they're estranged. So if you have Netflix, give it a go. It's enlightening to see this uh, juxtaposition of drab brick apartment buildings and abandoned city lots with folks on horseback. And if you think such an odd pairing is too unusual to be believable, remember, truth is stranger than fiction. In fact, several of the actors are actual members of the Fletcher Street Riding Club, one of several active horsemanship clubs in neighborhoods of North and West Philadelphia. And such communities exist all over the country. I'll put up another uh, picture here now. This is of the cast of the movie, several of, of whom are the actual writers that I talked about. Uh, fun fact, the son, who's the second one from the right, if you're a fan of Stranger Things, he's one of the kids in Stranger Things too. I didn't even realize that until the movie was over with. Like, he's all grown up. I haven't watched season four of Stranger Things yet, so no spoilers, please. The Fletcher Street Writing Club's Wikipedia page says that informal stables exist on private and abandoned city land throughout North and West Philadelphia. The horses are ridden throughout the city's streets and parks, and regular races are held on an open strip of Fairmount Park called the Speedway. These various clubs uh, now are focused more on teaching horse care as a way to promote appreciation of the outdoors, provide a framework for academic progress for youth, and save horses that were destined for an early death. That's how they uh, are able to uh, stay in business, so to speak. Obviously, having large animal facilities like stables close to urban environments presents unique challenges. But that idea helps us think more deeply about the nature of home. What should it look like? Where should it be? And who gets to say what homes are located where? And when we start to go down this old town road, if you'll pardon the bad joke, we have to consider one of the fundamental tools of American community development, zoning laws. We all have some familiarity with them, but humor me as I share a simple explanation offered by a website called the First Amendment Encyclopedia. Zoning laws first came into existence in the, in the United States in the early part of the 20th century as various state and local governments sought to regulate property development to promote efficiency and to regulate use. 
For example, a community may wish to zone some areas for residential homes and others for manufacturing to prevent a factory from being built in the middle of an area full of homes. And of course, zoning laws can be quite complicated and are tools that most of the time serve as well, but can be abused. Generally speaking, however, the intent behind them is to favor order over chaos and to provide some safety and consistency in development. Philadelphia, of all places, has wrestled with conflicts that arise when housing and horses converge in these urban settings. Indeed, in the late 2000s, the city government raised some of the stables and the clubhouse of the Fletcher Street Riding Club, ostensibly to redevelop the land. As I mentioned, this is one of the central tensions in the plot. Despite such pressures, Harp embodies the resilience of the urban horse community in one of the more notable lines of dialogue. Home ain't a place, it's fam. That's what makes us cowboys. This is one of the lessons that the parable of the prodigal son teaches. Home isn't about property, but family. Incidentally, the title prodigal son first appears in the writings of Jerome around the 4th and 5th century. And the word prodigal simply means wasteful. The son asked for his share before it was due, so to speak, then wasted it in dissolute living, which is a rather dignified description of the excesses he seems to have indulged in. But you know, this parable is sometimes called the parable of the prodigal father, because why would the dad in question entrust the son to responsibly handle his portion of the inheritance at presumably such a young age. In other words, doesn't one wasteful act beget another? Consider this, the inheritance was not cash money as we might assume, but livestock and land. In other words, these folks weren't cowpokes per se, but something akin to ranchers. In any case, that land would have been in the family for generations. So by asking for his inheritance, the son is rejecting his father and family and saying, I wish you were dead. Furthermore, to liquidate the asset by selling it to someone from the outside would disrupt the entire community. So the scandal begins when the father fails to reject the son's request, and he would have been justified to chastise or penalize him for having the gall to ask for it in the first place. But at no point does he do so. In fact, when the son returns, clothed with nothing but degradation and having last eaten pig slop, dad doesn't even wait to greet him. He runs toward him. A prodigal dad welcoming a prodigal son with what some naysayers would consider prodigal grace and mercy. The fictional version of the Fletcher Street Riders in Concrete Cowboy have a vacant piece of land where they train the horses and the new riders right next to the stables that are threatened by development. In this field, the club members will sit around a fire after the day's work is done and tell stories. Some of these stories are exaggerations of their riding prowess, disputes over who won the last time they raced each other in the annual racing event that the club hosts, but some are collective exercises in keeping the lore and the history of the club alive. 
In one such fireside chat, many of them are lamenting the fact that Hollywood itself contributed to the whitewashing of black cowhands out of the narrative of the Old West. Black cowboys are rarely seen in film. Incidentally, this is what makes the satire so rich in my favorite movie of all time, which will not be featured in this series, Blazing Saddles. If you've seen it, you know why. Which tells the story of a land baron trying to crush a town by arranging for its new sheriff to be a black cowhand. Indeed, most historians who are experts in the study of the American West estimate that about 25% of cowboys were black. An article from Smithsonian Magazine in 2017 says this, while Texas ranchers fought in the war, they depended on their slaves to maintain their land and cattle herds. In doing so, the slaves developed the skills of cattle tending, breaking horses, pulling calves out of mud, releasing longhorns caught in the brush, and these skills would render them invaluable to the Texas cattle industry in the post-war era. Now, in that same campfire scene I alluded to a second ago, one of the cowgirls, Nessie, recounts the spirit of the black cowpoke when she says, people used to believe breaking a horse meant crushing the will of the animal, dominating him, making him believe that the only way it was going to survive was to submit, right? Well, black folks, we knew that a horse wasn't meant to be dominated. A horse is meant to be free. Only way you can realize its true spirit, its nature, is through love. When I heard that line, I thought of the prodigal father. He likely saw in his wayward son a bit of his own youthful wanderlust and wild spirit. And he painfully realized that the only way his boy would learn was through experience. So he released him to discover that life can be a painful teacher. And though it likely caused a great scandal in the community, it was an act of love, too. So last week, I picked up a children's book that I pre-ordered months ago and forgot about. You ever, you ever have that happen to you? Like, who's calling me? A book? What book? They tell you the name of it, and you're like, I don't remember. And you just go and find out what it is, I guess. So uh, I have that book here. It's called All the Places We Call Home. It's up on the screen, too. So it's a kid's book. Um, it shares the theme that where we call home is as much a product of family ties as it is where we lay our head at night, a similar theme from the movie. So I'll have it back here after the service if you want to take a look at it. Uh, I bought this copy for my wife's media center. She's the media specialist at Aloma Elementary School, so I thought it'd be a good addition uh, to her shelves. Now, in this book, the daughter asks her mom to tell her stories of the places that both they and their ancestors hail from, South Africa, Zimbabwe, Jamaica, and now America. For the cowboys of the classic cattle drives of the 19th century, the song was what? Sing it with me. Home, home on the range, where the deer and the antelope play. Yes, we're going to have karaoke uh, at the end of this summer, right? So the question today is not, where is home, as much as it is, who is home? And we all have different answers for that question. 
But as we explore our kinship ties at the family reunion or through genealogy or by asking our elders to tell us stories, our notion of what home is expands as well. And here's a tip. That's not just applicable to your families, biologically speaking. That is applicable to church families as well. Ask your elders' children about their experiences of growing up in the faith. That tradition literally handing down is important to not just the survival, not just the thriving, but the growing of the faith. So friends, wherever we wander, whether it seems prodigal to some or not, know that we have a Father whose mercy and grace are so extravagant, so prodigal to be scandalous. And God calls each of us to exhibit that same grace and mercy to one another. Wherever we range on God's earth, whether the Wild West or the wilds of a Philadelphia neighborhood, may we hang our hats on the assurance that God watches over us all and works through us to spread the good news of a prodigal father, son, and Holy Spirit who desires justice for all through scandalous grace. Amen.